We thank you for what you are doing in our lives, our midst. Thank you for the fires that are being started, that have been started, that were started this morning. And Father, we will choose to line up with you to allow those fires to burn more and more. One thing I want to share is I feel like as as we were singing that one song about the chains being broken. One thing I felt like the Lord was saying was the chains of barrenness were going to be broken. And I don't think he was just talking about spiritual barrenness, although he was talking about spiritual barrenness, also physical barrenness. If there's someone here who's been trying to have children, but you've been unable to. And that's a desire of your heart. I just want to encourage you to grab a hold of that. Because a phrase that went through my mind was children being born that weren't able to. Children being born that weren't able to. So I just share that in obedience and faith, and then we'll just see where it goes. So husbands, do your part. That's supposed to be funny, but that's okay. Thank you, Father. The day I was prepared to preach, and I was prepared not to preach. To be or not to be. And I was ready for both. I was, yes, Lord, yes. And I believe he's given me a word for this body. And I believe we need to embrace it. We need to prepare our hearts. I believe our hearts have been prepared. Just like Todd was saying, the, the stage has been set or the, the table has been prepared for us to embrace the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is what breaks the chains of bondage. You know, when we're singing that song, I was reminded of the scriptures where it talks about Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And those chains that were, when Caleb was saying, we hear the chains falling, those were pieces of chains that were being obliterated, that were being shattered, were falling. That's what God is doing in our lives. That's what he's doing in this, in this church, in this congregation, in this community, if we will let him. Amen? And I'm extremely excited. You know, I want to share something that's pretty cool. We are... Uh, my family is, as uh, Cornell was saying earlier, we are uh, leaving out tomorrow, heading to California to, to hang out with my son who's graduating to celebrate with him, and we're just going to have a good time there. But we're going to be, he's graduating from Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry, and a number of you around here are familiar or have heard of Bethel. In the past, when I've gotten the opportunity to go to Bethel, I've been there three times, I was always excited about, oh my goodness, I can't wait to go, I just want to be in that building. I just want to be in the atmosphere. And if any of you who've had the opportunity to be there, like Kalen, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's a wonderful place to be because they, they, the presence of God is there, uh, is definitely a core value. And so it's just a place that you want to be and hang out. And so when I've had the opportunities to go there, it's been exciting. It's been fun. It's been really cool. And I was just thankful to the Lord that, that I got to go. But for the first time, we're going to Bethel, and I've hardly even thought about going to the church. 
Matter of fact, I don't even know if we're going to be in the church this time. And I really don't care. That's the amazing thing. I am so excited about what God is doing here at New Covenant Fellowship in Stillwater, Oklahoma. That I don't feel like that I have to go to a place to see the happenings and experience the happenings and then come back and survive here. I mean, there's been times when I felt that way. You know, I'm sure you've visited churches where where God's really moving and and it's free and everything and you go there and, and it's like, oh my goodness, I wish it could be like this at our church. I ain't having those feelings no more. I mean, I'm really excited about what God is doing. And I, you know what, you know, Kay recently, uh, well, actually, it was a few months ago, she got to go to, to Bethel. And, you know, the elders were gracious to send her and, and bless her and just deposit in her and, and give her the opportunity to go and, and be there for a while. And I said, you realize we're, we're, we're taking a risk because if she goes there, she might want to stay. She may believe that God is calling her to Bethel. And I, I realized that that was a reality, but it was, a cho- it was a, like a chance you had to take. Well, Lord, if that's you, we bless her. Please bring her back. Please. You know, in those kind of times you want to pray, God, my will be done, not yours. <clears throat> but when Kay came back, she had a great time as she shared. But what blessed me is she said, you know what? God's called me here. I want to be here at New Covenant Fellowship. That's exciting. That is really exciting. I'm excited about what he's doing. I don't want to overuse that word. Excited, excited, excited. I can't think of another one. (laughs) I'll make up one pretty soon and then I'll use that one. Appreciate what Rosemary was sharing about that little bitty fire and how Jesus was tenderly Nurturing that fire and doing what he was doing to, I believe, to make it get bigger and bigger. But he was attentive to that small little fire. And all those boxes that were around there that, that were about to be consumed. I don't know what those boxes might represent, but they could have represented the garbage in our lives, the bondages the holdups, the past that has been haunting us, the stuff. If we will cooperate with Jesus, that stuff will be consumed. And it will no longer be a bondage or something to trip us up, but it will be a testimony in our lives of His goodness. Amen? Are you ready to cooperate with Him and allow Him to make your mess a mission. The stuff that's been the stuff, he wants to take it and do incredible things through our lives. But we have to commit. We have to submit. We have to uh, allow him to have his way. And that's what the word is about today. The Lord gave me a word. You know, I was uh, feeling like I was talking too much about relationship. And I remember the last time I was like, okay, I'm done. I've kind of beat this dead horse and it's time to move on. I'm going to talk about something else. And I was trying to think of something else to talk about and I couldn't. I, oh, maybe we can talk about this. Let me talk about this. And I saw the Lord shaking his head. 
He said, I'm the one that told you to talk about that, and I want you to continue. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is your idea, isn't it? And then he gave me a title. He said, it's time to DTR. Now, concerning relationships, some of you may be familiar with that phrase, DTR. I didn't know what that meant until my son, uh, the Bryant, was talking to me, you know, in context of relationships, guy-girl relationships, that kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, Dad, it's time for us to have a DTR. And he was talking about what that means, take a girl out to coffee. If The way I understand it, it's like when you see in these movies, these chick flicks that Lisa makes me watch all the time, that I really, really, really enjoy. <laughs> They're my favorite movies in the whole wide world. And I'll repent in a minute. But anyway, you know those, those chick flicks, where, the love stories, where there's a guy and a girl, and one of them really likes the other one, and the other one doesn't have a clue. You know the movies I'm talking about? You know men, you know movies I'm talking about? Brothers, thank you, good. I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> and then those movies, that, that it's, you experience this frustration because it's like they're together like they're friends, and, and you can tell one has feelings for the other, but the other one is totally clueless. And you're like, just tell him, just tell him. You want to come through that TV and, you know, and help him out. And it's just a frustration. And then in the end, they finally have that DTR moment where they define the relationship. And it's clear that he likes her, she likes him, and they live happily ever after. Because they're not about reality, are they? And so in a relationship, there comes a point when you have to define the relationship, DTR, define the relationship. Otherwise, there's going to be confusion. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be a lot of heartache, misunderstanding, until both people in a relationship understand what that relationship is about. And so today we're going to have a DTR. And we're going to talk about a relationship with the Lord. You know, you hear people say that um, when it comes to Christianity, it's a relationship, not a religion. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have used that phrase before? You know, it's a, it's a relationship, not a religion. But what does that mean? Relationship. There again, relationship, that word. But what does that mean? What kind of relationship did Jesus have with his disciples? What did it look like? We see in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, and it says, And he, talking about Jesus, went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve so that they would be with him. So when Jesus chose his twelve that he was calling to himself to be with him, he had an agenda for them, a kingdom agenda says that so that they would be with him and that he would send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons and he appointed the 12. And so we see how he, at times like when it, James and John and Peter and those, he would come up to him and say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Remember that? When he invited certain ones and follow me, follow me, follow me. And they did. They followed him. And they hung out with him. And they... Did all kinds of they lived together, he taught them. They probably had a lot of dialogue. Could you imagine if if you were living during that time and you were the one of the people and Jesus said, 
Come and follow me. And so if you were just hanging out with the, with the group, imagine the dialogue that went on. I mean, just imagine that. The questions the disciples got to ask this guy. And the teaching moments that Jesus had with them. And they ate together. They did a lot of fellowship, a lot of eating together. They did ministry together. He said, okay, guys, he would, he would do things. He would heal people. And he said, make sure you're paying attention. This is going to be a pop quiz. So he would heal and minister to, love on people. And he says, all right, you remember what I was doing? Now y'all go do it. So he would send them out to do the same things that he did. And he trained them. In Acts 4, verse 13, it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, that they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Now I'm fast-forwarding a little bit to after Jesus was crucified, he was resurrected, he gave them the commission, told them what to do. He said, now go do the stuff. He goes up to be with the Father, and they go out and begin to do what Jesus, uh, well, after they get filled with the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff, they're going to the temple to pray. A lame man's there begging. He gets healed, just like they saw their master do before. And then they get in trouble because there's a big ruckus. People are coming to them, and the religious leaders are not too excited about what's going on. And so they're standing before them because they're in trouble. They did a no-no. And it says that they observed the confidence of Peter and John. Confidence. Now remember after Jesus died, when he was crucified? Remember these confident men hiding? Remember that? They were hiding because they were afraid for their lives. Well, they're not afraid anymore. It says they observed their confidence. Now they knew they were in trouble. These authorities had the, the, they could do whatever, kill them, execute them, throw them in prison, beat them or whatever. But they observed their confidence. They were uneducated, untrained, which means they didn't have anything to do with your confidence. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. These men saw that these disciples had been with Jesus. That's where their confidence was because of who they hung out with. And they saw that they, this man was healed. They did the very same things that Jesus did. So these men's lives were changed dramatically. It was because they were hanging out with Jesus. They hung out with Jesus. They had a relationship with him. They ate together. They played together. They probably went fishing together. Well, I'm not sure what all they did. Because in the three and a half years they were together, there was probably some downtime, some resting time, some maybe recreational time. Of course, we don't know that for sure, but, you know, we can speculate that. And in John chapter 15, verse 15, it says, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you, anybody know what that word is? Friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That word friends is philos means to friend, to be friendly to one, an associate, he who associates familiarly with one, a companion. So Jesus was calling them friends. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friend. 
That's the kind of relationship he invited them into. A friendship. He says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you my friends. You may remember the song that we've sung before and it was popular at one time on the charts, the Christian charts. I am a friend of God. Remember that song? I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Remember that song? And it swept the Christian community. And and the exciting revelation is that God calls us friends. We're his friends. That's amazing to be a friend of God. And we probably all sung that song. But one thing in that relationship that they had with Jesus, even though he said, I now call you friends, they still knew who was in charge. In other words, it was a a special kind of friendship because even though they would do things together and hang out together and everything, they still knew that Jesus was the master. He was the king. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that word Lord is kurios, and it's he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding, master or Lord, the possessor and disposer of a thing, the owner, the one who has control of the person, the master. It is a title of honor expressive of respect and reverence with which servants greet their master. This title is given to God, the Messiah. One of the requirements of our salvation is to confess Jesus as Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, do you believe that the Bible's saying you can confess him as Lord, but he doesn't have to be your Lord? Does that make sense? To confess him as Lord, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. What does it mean when we confess him as Lord? Is it, a, is it just a, a lip service? Is it something that I, words that come out of my mouth? Jesus is Lord. I believe God raised him from the dead. Okay. I want my salvation badge. I'm saved now. Confess him as Lord. I believe what it means is when you're confessing, you're saying, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. It's a posture of submission. I'm submitting to you as the Lord. You are the Lord of all. You are the King of kings. You are my Lord. Would you agree with that? But unfortunately, in our, in our society... We believe there can be confession without submission. In other words, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. In other words, it's kind of a general lordship. He's Lord of everything, which he is. But I believe they don't think that it includes lordship of me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit, which are God's. 
Jesus is Lord. He's my master. He's my king. I've been bought with a price. The price was his blood that he shed on the cross. I've confessed him as my Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead, which means, confirms that he is Lord. If he was raised from the dead, he's God. And so here's the catcher right here. Jesus is our friend, but he's also our Lord. That's the kind of relationship that the disciples had. They recognized he invited them into a friendship, but they also recognized that he was it. He was the man. He was the boss. Remember when Jesus was saying some really freaky things, and he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. John chapter 6. And the people were like, what in the world? And he was talking, he was saying this. I mean, the, the Jewish community is who was hearing this. Flesh and blood. I mean, that was so abominable. That went so against the, uh, the laws. You know, when you eat the meat, you drain the blood out of it. You don't eat the or drink the blood. So Jesus was saying, drink my blood. And he's saying this to Jews. They were freaking out. And they said, we can't, whoa, dude, you've gone off. We can't take this anymore. And it says, many of his disciples walked with him no more. And then he turned to the 12. And they were probably standing there. As Jesus was talking, they probably were, you know, and Jesus turned around. You know, you ever done that before? Jesus turned to them and they put on their face, their game face. I believe they didn't have a clue either. They were just as clueless as the people that left. But he said, so are you going to leave too? And you know, they didn't say, no, Lord, we understand what you meant. We understood that you meant this in the spiritual reality and not physical reality. We understood all that. So no, therefore, we're going to stay with you. That's not what they said. They're like, duh, I had no idea what you're talking about. But they said, but you are the one with the words of life. Where else are we going to go? They had no understanding what Jesus was talking about, but they knew he was the man. They knew he was the one. He was it. John chapter 3, verse 35 and 36 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. You know, if you back up a number of scriptures, John three sixteen is a common verse that probably all of us can quote it. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Anybody ever heard that before? So we know God so loved me that he gave his son that if I believe in him, I shall have eternal life. And we've equated believe with mental assent. Okay, I agree with, yes, I believe that. So therefore, I'm okay, I'm a Christian now because I believe that. Well, if you jump down to verse 35 and 36, it shows what it means to believe him. It says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, this is a New American Standard translation. It says, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So that word obey is interchanged with, I mean, excuse me, the word believe is interchanged with obey. 
So when we say we believe in him, it means we're obeying. When we confess him as Lord, that means we're submitting to his lordship. We're submitting to him as the one in charge. Are you getting this? The reason why this is so important, because in our society in America, we, on the most part, don't get this. We believe that you can pray a prayer, say a phrase, and then you're good from here on out. I can pray my prayer, Jesus, Jesus, come to my heart, come to my heart, forgive me my sin, forgive me my sin. I repent, I repent. Oh, you know, da, 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 da. Amen. Okay, I did the magical thing, and now I can go and continue to live my life the way I want to, and then when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I've talked to people who believe that. I've talked to people who are living that. I've been witnessing out here in Stillwater, and we came across a party, me and the youth group, many moons ago. And we were, we came upon these people and they were, they were partying, had beers in their hands and we were talking to them and everything, talking about Jesus and encouraging them to give their lives to Jesus. And I remember this, this small group of people and this girl was saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I got saved when, whenever. And she was sitting there partially drunk and all that kind of stuff. But the thing as we were talking and everything, what I was getting from her was the fact that I prayed the prayer. I'm doing my thing. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And that concerns me greatly because many people, Matthew chapter 7, says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In that day, many people will say, Lord, did we not do A, B, and C? Many people are going to think that they're okay. They're going to wait till they stand before Jesus, all excited, ready to go into heaven to get their mansion, And they're going to realize that their eternal dwelling place is not in that location. Because he's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity or workers of lawlessness or you who did your own thing. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of God. but those who do the will of God. To put our faith in Jesus Christ, to put our belief in Him, means that we are lining up with Him and choosing to obey Him. John chapter 15. First I read verse 15, and I'm going to back up to verse 12. And it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Listen to this. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for you are a, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that you have heard, all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If. You see, the disciples, these men knew that. They weren't tricked or confused or anything they knew that and remember when jesus was preaching to the masses he would say things he wasn't trying to win friends and influence people he wasn't trying to do that because if he was then he would have said things that would have been real easy for for people to come and have a relationship with him he says if you anyone wants to follow me you must deny yourself take up your cross they all knew in that day what a cross was it wasn't a little necklace on their, on their neck. 
You didn't see any Jews or any Gentiles, anybody back there wearing a cross around their neck. It'd be like you wearing a noose around your neck or a little bitty golden electric chair around your neck. It'd be absurd. It's like, what morbid thing are you doing? See, today the cross is a wonderful symbol of beauty simply because our king hung on that cross for a few minutes. A few hours, actually. So when he said, take up your cross and follow me, it wasn't a nice little gesture. It wasn't a cute symbolic thing. It was time to die. If you want to follow me, you have to die. You have to lay down everything, everything, and come and follow me. And he even said things like, if you love your mom or dad or brother or sister more than me, then don't even bother to follow me. He said some radical things. But these aren't the kinds of things that are preached when you're hearing an altar call of come to Jesus because he loves you, wants to make your life better. Invite him into your heart and everything will be okay. Now, I'm not questioning the sincerity of people when they use that invitation because I've done that several times. Because the, the intent, the heart is, you know the love of God and you want other people to experience the love of God. So you're inviting them, come and give your life to Jesus. But what happens is, it's like we're inviting people into to something, come and let Jesus be your friend and he will help you and, and he will fix your heart and all this kind of stuff. Which is true if there's a condition. Jesus cleans up and fixes the mess when we're submitted to him. See, many people in the church are very miserable because they think they're okay because maybe they prayed the prayer or they're doing the religious things, but they're not experiencing any victory in their heart. They have no peace. And they're thinking, man, what is wrong with me? I mean, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I'll read my Bible. I give money and all this kind of stuff, but I'm miserable inside. And I believe for the most part is because they haven't surrendered to him to allow him to do in you what he wants to do. Because see, for Jesus to do inside of you what he wants to do, it requires you to trust him and allow him to take you to places that may not seem so pleasant. And many of us, we treat our relationship with him with the kind of friendship that we have in the world. See, as a friend like Daniel, me and him being friends, if he has an opinion about something, I can say, well, that's a good opinion, but I, I disagree. And we can still be friends and have, and I can disagree with his opinions, he can disagree with my opinions. If he says, hey, CJ, I want you to do something, I can say, nah, no thanks. I can take it or leave it. And we carry that over into our relationship with Jesus Christ. And there we err greatly. When Jesus says, CJ, come and follow me, eh, maybe tomorrow. I'm busy today. Or Jesus, can we reschedule? Let me check my uh, iPhone to see if I have an opening. And of course, when we need him, oh, de- we're definitely going to call on him. When we're in trouble, when we get ourselves in a bind or messed up or whatever, we definitely call and expect him to come and fix us, fix our situation, fix our problem. 
almost like rubbing the side of a I didn't feel like I needed to say it. Because <laughs> we're all thinking it, so. But here's the deal. You know, it's, it's awesome what he's inviting us to. He says, if you draw close to me, in other words, if you take a step towards me, I will take a step towards you. Who do you think has a bigger stride, you or God? So when I take my measly little step towards him, it's like this giant, Boom, comes towards me. In other words, he's very passionate about us. But who takes the first step? We do. He says, if you draw close to me, then I will draw close to you. And in that context, he's talking about repentance. The whole context is in repentance. God, I'm turning back to you. In our society, we preach that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not require repentance. Because repentance is a work and the gift of salvation is free. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called a gift. And so we say, well, it's a free gift. It's a free gift in Ephesians. It's a free gift. Therefore, free means I don't do anything to earn that. Therefore, if I'm required to repent, then I'm doing something. Therefore, it couldn't be a free gift. And so, therefore, I can accept salvation and still do what I want to do and I'm going to be okay. That is a prevalent teaching in our society. And I believe it's false. Why would Jesus say, or why would the word say, when they said to the disciples, what must we do to be saved? What do they say? Nothing. Just come to Jesus. Repent is what they said. I don't know how many times the word repent is in the Bible, but Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of hand is at, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, repent. The disciples after the day of Pentecost, repent. But repentance isn't required. Who are you going to believe? Jesus or these, these people that are teaching that repentance is a requirement? And I'm so concerned because people are buying into this thing. Because God is love, which He is, but our definition of that, God loves me, so therefore, He wants me to be happy, therefore, I can do whatever I want to, so I can be happy, and God's going to be okay with that because He loves me. See, our problem is, is we interpret Scripture based on our culture, and we get all messed up. I can't explain explain the relationship between repentance and the free gift and all that kind of stuff, but I do know that it's in the Bible. I must repent. I must turn to Him. I must confess Him as Lord to be saved. At the same time, it is a free gift. I can't do anything to earn that. I don't necessarily know how to reconcile the two, but they're both in there. I can't ignore one for the other. And of course, I'm, if I'm going to ignore one, I'm going to ignore the repent part because I don't like that part. I love the free gift stuff. It can be so discouraging when you look at Christian families and see that the divorce rate is crazy. You see that the teenage rebellion rate in Christian homes is crazy. You see that all the junk, all the stuff, the social ills in society are, in the, are plaguing the Christian homes. It's like, what is up with that? 
And of course, I'm overgeneralizing, but I believe the majority of the problem is the fact that we are not submitted to Jesus. As a husband, if I'm submitted to him and he tells me to love her like he loves me, I shouldn't have a problem. Now, that doesn't guarantee that she's going to respond the right way. But if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, loving my wife like he told me to, that is not an option. That is not a Christian convention. That is the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 5. So if Jesus says, CJ, love Lisa just like I love you. And I say, yes, sir. And I say, teach me how. And he says, I will. That's why I sent the Holy Spirit to be your helper because you don't know how to do it. So I'm going to show you. And so as I submit to him and I do what he tells me to do. And if she happens to do the same thing, if she's a Christian and she's submitted to Jesus Christ and he tells her to respect her husband and he's going to show her how. Then that ought to eliminate a lot of problems. You know, in society, in our society, teenage rebellion is common. It's a thing to be expected when your kids turn 12 and a half-ish. Oh, watch out. When they get into that team, woo, watch out for them rebellious teenagers. Especially boys will be boys. I got five of them. But you know, I chose not to buy into that lie. And I appreciate the Klecklers giving their lives to teach growing kids God's way, to teach biblical principles. And I was able to learn as a man, as a father, how not to provoke my children to wrath. Now, that didn't mean I didn't do it all the time. I provoked them a lot. And they got pretty irritated because I messed up. I'd make stupid mistakes. I'd yell at them. I'd do stuff. I'd say things, lie or change my mind. I mean, not lie intentionally, but, well, I changed my mind. Or whatever, you know, did mistakes that parents make. But I've learned the importance of repentance and asking for forgiveness. Saying, son, I was sorry for acting this way or treating you this way. Would you forgive me? And I remember there was a time when, I remember when Trey turned 11-ish, around that time. Up to that time, everything was okay. You know, I'd embrace him emotionally. He was coming towards me. All of a sudden, at age 11, I was doing this emotionally. And I didn't understand why. I couldn't understand why was I putting my hand out. And so if Trey was coming towards me, he couldn't. And then all of a sudden, Bryant turned 11-ish. Same thing. Hand went out. Joseph, 11-ish. Same thing. Hand went out. And it's like, God, what is wrong with me? Well, there were some things that he began to reveal to me through ministry that I submitted to that at age 11 was when my parents got divorced. Age 11 is when I began to pass judgments towards my parents because of the divorce and because of all the junk. Age 11. There were some judgments that I made that caused me to distance myself from my parents. And all of a sudden, my boys turned age 11, and there goes that emotional distancing, that that arm. That block. I didn't know how to break that. I didn't know how to change that. If that would have been allowed to continue in my life, I think my relationship with my boys would be different than it is today. Because I would have said, you can't get close to me. I can't have a relationship with you. But because 
I'm submitting to him. And he said, I want to take you to this place. And I said, yes, sir. And I allowed him to take me, to deal with me in a certain area. And that arm came down. My boys were allowed to be close to me. And I thank God that they want to have a relationship with their dad. All of my boys do. And my girl, of course. But looking back, I see how I could have ruined that. I could have ruined it because of the emotional junk in my life. It was and it would have continued to affect negatively my family. But in submission to him, the Holy Spirit, he said, are you going to allow me to work in you? And I allowed. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't easy. But I allowed him to work in me and he's still working in me. And because I've allowed him to work in me, then it opens a door for other things to happen wonderful in my family. And see, right there, that little nugget explains why there's so much junk going on in Christian families. We go to church, we read our Bibles, we have quiet times, we do all the things we're supposed to do, but we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with the junk that's inside. We're not allowing Him to burn up those boxes that He wants to destroy. And therefore, those boxes and that clutter is damaging our relationships with other people. So we talk about relationships. Some of us can't even go there. Some of us don't even want to go there because of all the boxes and the junk that's in our lives. And we think it's okay. We think it's an option. Jesus says, I want to deal with this. We say, not today, Lord. We'll reschedule another time. And yet I call him Lord. I call him my friend. You know, we talk about revival. You know when that happens? When the people of God get right with God. It's not just about wonderful worship. See, I think, in my limited thinking, I think the purpose of worship, twofold, and I'm just generalizing, one, to honor and and reverence Him because He's worth it all. He is all that. And the other thing is, is so we get our hearts right so that He can deal with our hearts and begin to remove the junk because we say, Lord, take it. Take it because our hearts are soft, because we're so in love with him and we're focused on him so much. And it's like, God, I want what you want. He says, good. It's like, um, and it's, what do you call that when they're about to put you under for surgery? What's that stuff? Yeah, that. For some reason, I can't say that word. And so it's like worship is that word that y'all just said. And we get in that and it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, you can, you can work on me now. You can do your surgery now on me. And we allow him to deal with the crud, the junk, the stuff in us. Because we're in complete submission. You know, when a doctor's going to operate, when you go under that anus, what is that word again? Yeah, that. When you're under that, you're totally submitted, aren't you? There's no argument. There's no complaining. There's no, hold on a second before you put that knife in my chest. There's none of that. Same thing with worship, I believe. When we're just totally, oh God, I love you. You rock. God, you're awesome. All of a sudden, he puts that knife in, begins to cut away that junk. And we're like, yes, Lord. Ooh, that hurts. Yes, Lord. And then after it's over, it's like, thank you, Jesus. I'm free. I hear the chains falling off. See, it's more than just lip service, people. We can't just sing songs and expect stuff to happen. It's singing and worshiping him and allowing him, who happens to be Lord, boss, king, to do what he wants to do. And when we allow him to do what he wants to do, stuff is going to happen. 
Stuff is going to happen like we can't even imagine. And we're going to be freaking out. We are going to be majorly freaking out. But you know what it starts with? You're my Lord. Some of us have come to Jesus under false pretense. We did not repent when we gave our lives to Jesus. I'm talking about age 5, 7, 10, 12, however old you were. And some of us, maybe we did. We gave our lives to Jesus. Yes, I, com- I confess you as Lord. But since then, we've taken a detour. and We've gone our own way. And our lives are all messed up. And some of us, we never really made any major detours. But we have things in our lives that we think we have the right to say, no, can't touch this. It's like, wait a minute. The Bible said that we've been bought with a price. I'm his. The Bible says my body belongs to the Lord. That means everything in it. Soul, spirit, everything in it. The junk, the garbage. And that means he, when he wants, can decide to take care of stuff in there. But you know what? He's not going to violate our will. He won't say, you belong to me. I'm going to do what I want. He's wanting willful obedience, willful submission. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up. I can need a few more. <laughs> yeah, come on up. And worship team, if you guys could... Either do something or or play music. Either one is fine. See, it is so important to define this relationship. Because when I hear people saying, oh, God is love, God is love, which is true. But what I hear sometimes, their interpretation of that is, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want because he loves me so much that he's going to allow me to be, you know, all that, that nonsense. And God is a God of love and he wants you to be free. But that requires submission to him. He's the king. Are you with me? I ask you to, to close your eyes with me. Because I want you to think, I want you to be able to focus on you and him right now. And not on people in front of you or next to you. Jesus, you are Lord. Now what does that mean to you? When he looks at you, does he see that you've allowed him to be Lord 90%, 50% or whatever? If that's the case, that's not Lordship. That's kind of like partnership, where you feel like you can equally agree with Jesus. Lordship is 100% surrender. And when you surrender to him, that doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to walk in complete, perfect obedience every day. But you're going to be moving in that direction. Because as he puts his finger on an area of your life that has been totally held back, You're going to allow him to begin the process of working in you to draw you closer to him, to help you. That's what that means. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means following him. 
And I'm going to open the altar and, and give you an opportunity just to come up and repent, submit to Jesus as Lord. If it's completely, if you've never done that before, I want to encourage you to do that. And the reason why I've asked the, work, the ministry team to be up here is so that some, they can pray with you. They can be in agreement with you in this decision. If you recognize that there are areas that you haven't surrendered to him, but you're ready to say, Jesus, I do confess you as Lord. I surrender to you. I'm scared, but I surrender. There is a scripture that says that while we were yet sinners, while we were all messed up and lost in our sin, Christ died for us. God gave his most valuable possession in the universe to a bunch of heathen. So how much more, now that we are his sons and daughters, will he give us everything we need? Think about that right there. While we were lost and going our own way, rebellious, he gave us his best. And so that now that we are in line with him, how much more does he want to give us? And so how I interpret that is, I think he can be trusted. I believe he has my best interest at heart. So he's someone you can trust. That doesn't mean all the fear is going to go away. But when you say, Jesus, I trust you, but I'm scared. I'm coming towards you, but I'm afraid. That's okay, because you're coming towards him. I just want to give you the opportunity to come on up and just get it right with him. If you want any of the prayer team to pray with you, just engage them and ask them to pray with you and agree with you on whatever. Otherwise, you can just come to the front. But I am asking you to step out of your seat, not to stay in your seat, because you are. if you're making a choice in the spiritual realm, then you're going to display that to yourself in the physical realm by getting out of your seat and coming forward. Just like baptism doesn't save you, but it's a symbol of the decision, of, a physical picture of the decision that you made. You coming out of your chair doesn't save you, but it's a physical picture of the choice that you're making in your heart. So I just want to give you that opportunity right now.